let's jump back into our uh, series on Hebrews. Uh, Jesus, uh, everything starts with Jesus. Let's uh, check out our text for today. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following an example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews is definitely an intense book because the author is speaking to uh, fellow Jews and trying to convince them to follow Jesus and then to convince them not to quit if they're already on that path. And so the, the language gets pretty intense. Let's, take, let's, let's pick it apart. Let's see exactly what's going on here because it might be a little bit confusing. What does it mean to make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will, will perish by following their example of disobedience? We've, uh, we've skipped down a little bit because the, the bit about rest makes a lot of sense, very easy to understand for first century Jewish people, but not so easy to understand for us. And the reason for that is that rest to the, the first century Jewish people sounded like the, the, the time when the Israelite people escaped slavery and moved into the promised land. And that was supposed to be their rest. They were supposed to finally have the, the, the confidence and, the, and the, the, the life of freedom that they had been promised from uh, an early time. However, when they actually did that, when they actually moved into the land, things went badly pretty quickly. And because of a number of different problems with leadership, we, we just did our uh, series in First and Second Kings showing how the leadership of the country had ruined it, as well as just people going their own way. They never really experienced the full rest of being in the promised land. And the author of Hebrews says, what's going to happen is that rest was not final. The real rest, the rest that is going to change our lives forever is the rest that comes with the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. Everything starts with Jesus and our rest is part of that as well. So what's this bit about no one will perish by following their example of disobedience? Well, uh, question here, um, who, who here is really good at sleeping? Anyway, guys, guys, really, Phil? Phil's gonna put his, okay, so over there, Phil Stevel, apparently, apparently they did move into their house, thanks for telling us. We prayed for you last week after you were already in it. So it was a retroactive prayer. But, uh, Phil, Phil is a sleep nerd. Uh, he has, he has techno, technology, what is it, like a wrist thing or something? The what? The aura ring. He has the aura ring, which sounds pretty new agey to me, but whatever. It, it keeps track of how excellent his sleep is. And he has, early on in life, he was sleep deprived. And so he made it his business to become the best at sleeping. And now he is. And so he gets, you know, 15 hours a night, like totally undisturbed, <laughs> wakes up refreshed every morning. Now, Michael, I'm not, I'm not super good at sleeping. Um, I, I do need, you know, my, my 10 to 12 hours a night or I'm kind of a mess. But uh, I've found the secret to getting a good night's sleep. And do, does anyone know what that is? Like, what's the best way to make sure without the aura ring? Um, how to... Weighted blanket. A weighted blanket? No. 
the CPAP machine. That's important for me because I snore. But I'm talking about, no, the, the key to great rest is exhaustion. Right? Like, have you, if you've, I'm, I've never really worked a day in my life, but there's been a few times where I've gotten close. And man, it's crazy. You just sack right out. Like, your body is like, no more. And as you get older, it's like earlier and earlier in the day. You're like, body's like, oh, it's 8 p.m. Let's get this done. Um, but it's, it really, it's true. And I, I say this because when I was texting Phil last weekend and, you know, he basically moved himself, uh, him and Megan. And I was like, dude, he showed me like how many calories he burned while he was doing it. And I was like, dude, you are going to sleep like the dead tonight. Because when you put your back into it and you run the long hours and you exhaust your muscles, you exhaust your mind, when you're depleted, that's when rest just man, it comes. I mean, go you know, spend six hours in the water surfing, and I guarantee you, you will sleep like you've never slept before. Well, what the author of Hebrews understands is that the rest that's coming, the, the rest of heaven, the best rest is going to be reserved for those who put the work in here, in this life. There's, there, when he, when he talks about perishing, it's not that he's talking about not getting into heaven. He's talking about not like really truly experiencing the maximum, the, 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 the best rest that heaven has to offer. And so throughout the book, he's encouraging people to put your backs into it. Spend time really working hard to do what God wants. If you do that, you will be ready for your big Sabbath at the end of days. When Jesus returns, you're going to be like, yes, finally, this has not been easy. Because living as Jesus lives, as we're going to see in a second, isn't easy. So the first thing in your note sheets... Entering the best rest of the kingdom takes a lot of work. And just as our sleep is best experienced after we've had a long, hard day, so is our eternal rest best when we dedicate our lives to putting the work of the kingdom in now. Which brings up a couple of questions. And the first one is this. If you died today, what would Jesus have to say about your life? Uh, and, you know, I, I'm only bringing this up, and it's uncomfortable. I'm only bringing it up because this is what the te- text is asking. I mean, if we get down to the bottom, we're going to notice that God is going to hold us to account. And so if it happened, if, you know, tonight's the night when the heart attack hits, like, and you're there, is Jesus going to be like, welcome to your rest. You deserve it. It's time. Or is Jesus going to be like, you're going to be sleeping a little fitfully here in, kept in heaven. Things are not going to be as comfortable as they could. And to that, I think the, the most, the biggest danger in the 21st century Western church is complacency. That's the next question. Are you being complacent or are you putting your energy into kingdom work? And I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip here. I, I think for a lot of us, just, you know, putting, grinding out the 40 hours a week, that really is serious. That's hard, and I think God respects and honors that. I'm not sitting here being like, oh, well, you know, you have to do more, 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 more. It's not about that. It's really about where, where is your heart? Where is your treasure being stored? Are you looking to make it heaven, or are you looking to make it here? Because if it's here, it's going to be really easy. And believe me, I know, if anyone struggles with complacency and just being comfortable, it's me. I'm, I'm, I confess that to you. 
Uh, but I know, I know based on what the, the Bible says that the real joy, the real rest comes for those who don't quit now. So let's go back to the text. This, this part is, is a, it's a very famous text because it's got such beautiful imagery. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. I've, I've glossed this in, in, in this one. We'll see it again. But it goes straight to what the heart thinks or intends. And I'll explain why I glossed that in just a second. The first thing, the word of God. What does that mean? For most of us, when we hear the word, word of God for church people, we assume that it means the Bible. But for the author of Hebrews, that can't be the case because there wasn't a Bible. There was an Old Testament, what we think of as the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. But beyond that, there wasn't any author of Hebrews probably writing around 60 AD, maybe has some Paul's letters. Maybe the gospels are in some rudimentary form, but there is no New Testament. There's no second Testament. And so the question is, what does he mean by word of God? You'll remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we said that he, he used the word statement, rhema. In this case, behind word is logos. And that's important because logos has a lot of different potential translations. But I think the one that gets to it the best is the message. Message of God. God's message. And I want to understand what that means. So I got a picture here of uh, Eugene Peterson. He authored The Message. Has anyone read this? It's like a the contemporary language Bible. I have my issues with it um, from a from a translation perspective. But if you're looking for something that's really easy to read and really captures, I think, the passion and the joy of Scripture, this is, this is not a bad place uh, to start. Just don't rely on it for study because Peterson is making a lot of glosses that probably aren't super appropriate. Nevertheless, does anyone know why it's called the message? Anyone know why, why he named it this? If you, if you read his translation, a lot of times where you get the Greek word logos, instead of word, he uses message. Because logos can mean something like uh, the principle of thought or the structure of thought or the structure of idea uh, behind something. And what Peterson recognizes, and I think nails, is that the message is Jesus. Remember the author of Hebrews, how does the the, the book start out? It starts out, in these latter days, God has spoke to us through his son, right? There's a message that God's sending us, and that message is Jesus. Jesus is this message from God. And everything about Jesus is kind of like God's letter to us to expose who God is and who we are in relation to God. And so when the author of Hebrews says the word of God is alive and active, what he's talking about is Jesus is alive and active. Jesus, God's ultimate message to us is still real, still powerful. Even though he's ascended to heaven, he is the the criterion by which all of life is measured. And what does he say that does? Well, he uses, ah, by the power of grace, gold. No He-Man reference for you, Reed? Okay, that's fine. Uh, this is my son's double-edged sword. The reason uh, swords are double-edged is to make it so that no matter what, no matter how you hit 
someone with it, it will draw blood. Okay? Double-edged means that both sides of the sword are sharp as well as the point. So that no matter, as long as you don't hit them with the flat of, of the sword, as long as you slice or penetrate, it is going to, it's going to do some damage. And did you notice that the, the author says that, 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 that Jesus, that the message of God, God's message to us in Jesus is sharper than any two-edged sword? This one, obviously, not sharp. Good, because if it were, I'd be dead. The kid loves to come after me. And I'm usually defenseless. Like, I'll be like, can I have a sword? Nope. All right, fair enough. Uh, I've, I've never done, I'm, a, I'm afraid of sharp objects. Um, but has anyone ever, like, touched, like, a really, really super sharp knife? Like, one that's, like, razor? Okay, what happens, and I have this from a friend, I've never done it myself, but even if you just lightly run your finger along it, it draws blood. And what's interesting about that is that you don't even feel it. Um, I have a friend who did this. He had a super sharp knife and he ran his finger along it and he didn't notice anything until he went to like use his hand and he saw blood like gushing everywhere. The, the point is, is that, that the, the Jesus message, God's message to us in Jesus is so sharp that we often don't even feel it coming in. And yet it penetrates right to the core of us. So it's, it's as though, it's as though the message of Jesus, it's like, it's like we, we don't even notice it. It's subtle in some ways, but as, as, as it comes into us, it, it, it goes right to the guts, right to what the heart thinks and intends. How's that work? Well, here's just a couple. Let me just throw a few things at you here. Um, Marilyn, can we go to the Matthew text here? This is uh, from Matthew 6. Cut by the kingdom. Cut by the message. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. They've received their reward. But when you fast, look awesome. Make it so that others don't even notice there's anything wrong. Only God is going to see you. And he will be the one who rewards you. I'm pretty sure that uh, Jesus isn't just talking about fasting. I know that he says the same things about prayer, about giving money, about doing charitable good works. I don't know I don't know about you but whenever I do anything good what I most want is for you to see it. Ow. Here's another one. No one can serve two masters, also Matthew 6. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. It's especially difficult now. You know, inflation's going up. We're all stretched. Most of us under the age of 40 will never own a home. 
And yet we're encouraged, and we have to because we have to pay the bills. We have to, to slave away, just crush it week in, week out. Ouch. The next thing in your note sheets is this. The message of kingdom life also cut, always cuts right to the core of us. When we receive God's message, it goes right in. And, and, and if it's not, then we're missing it. We're not really listening. Or maybe there's some things that are easier for some of us and harder for others. Like, for example, some of us here don't struggle that much with worrying about money. Others of us have a hard time thinking about anything else. Some of us don't, or some of us are super, and God bless you, we have so many amazing saints in this, this room who love to, to just work behind the scenes, receive no reward, don't, just happy to, to get the work done. Others of us, we need that spotlight. But when we encounter God's message in Christ, it goes right to the heart. That brings up a, f- a few things here. Uh, the first is this. When was the last time you read the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5 to 7. There, there's probably no more convicting uh, passage in, in all of the Bible because Jesus just lays out what it is like to truly live by faith, to truly live for the kingdom. And, and the things that Jesus says are super hard. You know, don't, don't, don't take the speck out of his eye when there's a, a, a log shoved in yours. Don't pick apart the person next to you. Instead, focus on yourself. (laughs) No one wants to do that. We love picking apart the people around us. So here's here's my my suggestion. That's your homework assignment. Um, Read Matthew 5 to 7. Just start reading it. And don't stop until it cuts you. Until the person, the nature, the teaching of Jesus cuts right to the core of you. Because I guarantee you there's some place in there that is going to hit you hard. If you just listen to what Jesus says and the radical uh, commitment that kingdom life requires, you will be humbled. Martin Luther, one of the things that he did with, with Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he was like, the problem is what Jesus is saying. This is impossible. He's like, if, if no one can live like this, only Jesus can do this. And so his interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount is, this is just to show you how bad you need him. Because as you start to read, you're going to be cut right to the core, and you're going to realize the only hope I have is Jesus' grace, Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' perfection, because my righteousness will never, never measure up. And that's true. I think he's right. But the author of Hebrews is saying, but there's more. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying If you want the great rest, the work is hard. It's not easy to live this way. Let's finish the text. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I remember there was a worship leader... um, that I knew and she was super into like 1970s um, kind of glam rock. And so she would write her own songs, own worship songs. And one of them was called Jesus is watching. And it was the most uncomfortable worship song I've ever heard because in it, 
it should, like the lyrics are like, Jesus is floating outside your window. Like, is he? Ah! Like Jesus, like the night stalker or something like what the, what the heck was that? But like, that's the kind of thing they did in the seventies. It was a just weird decade, real bad. Glad I didn't live through it. And, and so, but that was her vision. And, 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 and to some extent, let's be honest, like that's kind of what's being said here, but it's not all bad. Cause remember just last week, we found out that, that Jesus makes us family, right? And Jesus makes God, our father, our dad. And so, yeah, we're going to have to give account, but think about a good dad. All right, I got a picture here of some good dads, right? On the top left, you know, the good dad, like, you did it, son. You're riding your bike. The kid's like, I'm going 40 miles an hour on this e-bike. This is awesome. Like six years old. Have you seen these kids? Totally insane. And then on the bottom right, this dad's like, you failure. What are you doing? You're doing a bad job at homework or whatever. And the kid's like, oh, please stop, father, please. They're, they're, we know intuitively, and we actually, our verse of the month talks about how God, you know, is like a good dad. He disciplines us, right? He, he gives us some, 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 a little bit of this sometimes, but it's not because he's, he's like this mean old Grinch of a father. He's not an abusive dad. He's not, he's not a, 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 an ignorant father. He's not, he's not the type of dad who walks out. He's not, that's not the type of dad. He's the dad who absolutely delights and loves and gets excited about his kids. And so, yes, there is an extent to which we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure I want God seeing me right now. But there's also a sense in which a loving father doesn't, you know, come in and get just super angry at their kids when they, when they mess up. Yeah, we do sometimes, but ultimately it's always in, in love. And when, when a good father chastises, when a good father, you know, disciplines, it's, it's in order to bring about the best. It's not, it's not to, to crush the spirit. It's not to, to create a division. It's, it's like son, daughter, I want the best for you. And that's the last thing in your note sheets. God, dad is gracious, but he's always watching. So there, there are, there are things that, that will, you think are secret, but they, they're not, and they won't be forever. Um, and they all will be revealed. So take that in mind, take that in mind, but don't, don't forget that God's first and last word is always grace. It's always God for you, not against you. God never quitting on you. God never giving up on you. Just like a great parent is never going to quit on you, never give up on you. That's God's first and last word. But yes, because that's God's first and last word, he wants to make sure we're doing the right stuff. So that brings up the last couple of questions. What do you want your heavenly dad to see you up to? This, this is a vision question. It's a, it's a question of, okay, you're at whatever place in your life. You know, you're, some of us here are coasters. Um, it's just a, just a terrible downhill to death. You know, it's like, we're, <laughs> I'm kidding. Jeez. 
but you're, you're in a different stage of life, right? You're a coaster. Uh, your, your body doesn't work as well as it used to, but you also maybe don't have some of the responsibilities that you used to have. And one of the things I love about our coasters here is like just how involved they remain. I mean, I'm on an email string right now with uh, Mike Harrison. Mike's, uh, he's a coaster, but he's heading up kind of our security here at the church. And if you, by the way, if you are interested in helping to protect the church, talk to Mike. He uh, will, will help sort that out. I mean, he's still, he's in it to win it. He's not quitting. And I think, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that when Mike's focusing and working on this, I think he's sitting there being like, I know this God wants me to be up to this. I want to please him. I want, to see, I want him to see me doing something to protect our people. For others, it's going to be mission. It's going to be like, I want to see the gospel reach the, the hard-hearted. For others, it's going to be, I want to make sure that I can provide for my family the way that maybe my parents didn't provide for me. For others, it's going to be, I want to make sure I raise my kids right. So that I can look back and say, yeah, I did it. Even if they don't always turn out the way that we want them to, Sam, we still, (laughs) I'm playing, man. You're the the best. You're so sweet, dude. Um, That that we we acquit ourselves with with a plum. And, and, And God's watching that. So don't look at this as just a warning like, oh, God's watching. It's also, an, it's also inspiring. What do you want your dad to see you doing? It's just like, I mean, I remember when I was four or five years old and I got on that diamondback bike and I, and I rode up and down the street for the first time. And I remember my, my dad being like, yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. What do you want your dad in heaven to be going? Yes. But the last question is this. What don't you want him to see? What needs to change? And how are you going to do it? I mean, we could, we could talk about all kinds of dark things. I mean, thanks to, thanks to, uh, isn't it incredible? Do you ever just stop and think, wow, it's amazing that we live in a country where there are basically no limits to what minors can see people having sex. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? Do you ever just think about that? Like, what, what kind of world do we live in? And pornography is like a huge thing. Like, it's massive. And for some of us, maybe that's an issue. How are, how are we going to get out of that? There's, other, there's a million different things um, that we can talk about. And you know, when you're, deep, when you're deep down, if you just imagine, you know, your dad watching, you know what you don't want him to see. And so what's the plan? I have a... Uh, a kind of a pastor mentor now. His name's John. He's in uh, Vegas. He's an awesome dude. Like just the most genuine, sweetest guy. And one of the things that he's encouraging me, he's like, listen, you know, it, it's not just a matter of, of like working really hard, you know, just putting the, the effort in. He's like, really change begins when we come before God and we're just broken before him. Like, I can't do this. I, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I know you want better things for me, but it's got to come. The power, the strength has to come from you. Holy Spirit, you're the one who has to do the work. All I can do is just come before you and say, I'm a mess. And things aren't right. But if I depend on you, I believe something better is on the way. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, We thank you for being such a good dad. 
We thank you that your first and last word is grace. We admit we don't have it together. Not one of us here comes in strength and power. Every single one of us comes in weakness. And we have to depend on you. Holy Spirit, come prick our hearts. Convict us of what needs to change. But also inspire us to see all the great things that you have for us to do. So that our Heavenly Father, that you can cheer us on with joy. God, may we not grow weary of doing good, but instead prepare to enter the best possible rest in eternity when you come back, Jesus. Jesus, come back and applaud us for who we've become and what we've done. God, bless these people, this, this incredible, incredible group of people. Bless Coast Bible Church. May we experience the joy of having you as dad all over again, brand new today. As you lavish your love on us and as you cheer us on. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.